Thank you for joining us for IEB There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. It is Thursday, April 16th. Welcome to IAB There. Our topic today, remaining resolute to stay connected, why audiences matter through disruption. And our guests today are Nicole Pangas. She is the CEO of Ampersand. She's in conversation with our president here at the IAB, David Cohen. Let's bring them into the stream. And while they're arriving, let me add, let you know that if you have questions for Nicole and David while they're chatting, the way to post your questions is on Twitter. Please use the hashtag IAB there. One word, all caps. Our producers will be following uh, the questions as they come and sharing them with David and Nicole. I see Nicole is with us. Nicole Pangas, welcome to IAB there. David is on his way. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having us. So, and where is home for you? Where are you beaming into us? I am in suburban New Jersey in Rutherford. In, oh, my, in, my, in my attic. In your attic. You're in an attic, David. I think you're in a basement. I'm in a basement. All right. The, well, I you weren't supposed to tell anyone that, but yes, I am in a basement. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll meet in the middle somewhere. Welcome to IAB there, both of you. Take it away and have a great chat. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Nicole, we're going to have some fun. I'm excited to, uh, to do this. And before we get started, um, I just wanted to, I was thinking about the time that you rebranded to Ampersand, which was, I think, September of last year. And I remembered that I thought that that was such an awesome name. I mean, the whole idea of the and, the collaboration. And as I was thinking about today and the environment that we're in, I don't think we've ever needed more of that kind of, we're all in this together. Uh, we're going to get through this together. We're going to work collaboratively. So I like it more now than I liked it back in September. So uh, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks and so uh, we'll start with, before we get into the business stuff, talk about how are you doing? How's your family doing? This is obviously just a kind of weird time to be working remotely. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, so um, mostly fine, I would say. I think we're all doing the same, which is if we're gonna all be honest with each other. You know, there's, there's good days and bad days and bad moments and great moments. And, um, you know, so I think um, all things considered, you know, doing, doing fine, doing well. And, uh, and I think to your point about, you know, just uh, sort of the collective, I think, you know, now more than ever from a business and, and even more importantly, from a human perspective, because that will help from the business perspective, we need to um, be there for each other and understand each other, because certainly we're all in um, similar circumstances, but also different circumstances. You know, there's, there's people who have different family situations. Yeah. Um, I'm divorced with two little girls, which is a different dynamic than other families. And so, um, you know, you have families whose children aren't graduating, you know, from, you know, with their college. Yeah, my daughter from high school, right? Right, yeah. from high school. And so everybody's on their own journey always. Um, and I think what this situation brings is a sort of flashlight to the, to the fact that we are in fact all on journeys, but we're all much more intertwined than we are different. So hopefully we'll remember that, you know, six months out of this situation and a year out of the situation, because I think we'll all be better for it. I love that. Yeah, totally. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing is trying to talk to the folks as I'm talking to lots of our members and companies about things that they're learning about best practices in managing uh, from afar, you have several hundred people that are on your team. What's that like? Do you have any like things that you've done that you think are really, really 
um, useful as you bring your community together? Yeah, so I think, um, look, I've been in this job for less than two years um, and a CEO for less than two years. So it's interesting to navigate this just from a personal perspective. I bet, yeah. Fairly new to a CEO job. Of course, you know, I was a COO for a bunch of years in much larger global organizations. In this case, it's, you know, we're just shy of 700 people at Ampersand and it's US only. So it's different dynamics, certainly. I think. Um, all things considered, you know, however large or however small you are, the basic dynamics are the same, which is it's more important than ever to remain communicative, to remain as transparent as humanly possible. Um, and so what we've done, and I think, you know, hindsight will be 2020 when we're out of this, but we, we sent everybody home um, earlier than many companies did. And even weeks prior, we made coming into the office um, optional very optional, so optional to the, the person. Yeah. Uh, if people were compromised or didn't feel comfortable for whatever other reason. So um, I think that was a good decision. And then once we, we mandated a work from home sort of a week before a lot of companies did, um, we have had weekly town halls. We have had, um, I send an email every Friday um, that's sort of half humorous, like, yeah that I slept in a unicorn sleeping bag with my daughters <laughs> in my living room for the week, you know, because that's what they wanted to do because right. that's the human part of what's going on here, right? Um, and just, you know, but also business updates, which, you know, sometimes are, they feel like we have a glimmer of hope and sometimes it's a little bit more difficult, the news yeah. of the week, um, but just being very transparent with both of those things. And also sometimes the fact that those things collide, like, Hey, this is looking really good, but you know the the market's in the tank. So you know how do you make sense of that? And just being transparent about the fact that sometimes it's just not going to make sense for a little while because these are, you know, just, yeah, interesting times. Exactly. Right. And on the lighter side, you know, we have I have my Peloton behind me here in my attic, but we have um, three times a week, two times a day, you know, Peloton groups that ride together morning and afternoon to cover all the time zones. We have- Which instructor do you like? Who do you, who do you like? Who's love your Allie favorite? Love. Allie Love is my- is Allie my Love. Oh, I like her too. <laughs> um, I've yeah, a bunch of her classes and I have a lot more to go. Um, and then we have a wellness contest that we're doing um, across the company as well. Um, so, you know, you try to keep connected, um, you know, and yesterday in our town hall, my buddy, good buddy of mine is a guitar, very talented guitar player and singer. So we had him join our town hall to do a, a virtual awesome. cocktail hour. Um, so, you know, you do the best you can with this yeah. and, and part of it's business, but we can't forget the human aspect and the fact that we're all going through, you know, a different emotional journey than we've ever gone through before. Um, and just staying connected, I think totally. is really yeah. important. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Ampersand and business. And for, I'm sure most people are familiar with Ampersand and what you do, but just give the little kind of um, elevator pitch as to what, what is Ampersand and what, what role do you fill in the marketplace? Sure. So Ampersand, we've been around um, since the 80s. So the company was previously NCC Media before we rebranded to Ampersand last yeah. fall. Um, the roots of the company are very much based in local television cable advertising. Um, and it started basically by pulling together all of the cable operators um, yeah. across markets and then across the nation to allow buyers to more easily buy cable television media across all of the cable nets. Of course, you have all the major, you know, the NBCs and the CBSs of the world and that are selling across their national footprint. 
right. cable operators uh, sell across all the national cable networks across the entirety of the national footprint. So it's sort of, it's a different cell, uh, always has been. And, and we also represent the satellite and telco operators now. So that was sort of pre uh, me and a bunch of other people arriving there just shy of two years ago. What we've done since is uh, Comcast, Cox and Charter, who are the three owners of Ampersand, uh, have pulled together their set-top box data insights. So just shy of 40 million households of set-top box data insights. So it's the largest kind of deterministic data set in television yeah. sits at Ampersand, which is very cool because I'm a data and tech geek. Um, and also the national addressable footprints of those three companies sits at Ampersand. So we are now bringing to market, really since our rebrand, um, a combined uh, ability to buy, you know, linear local and also national addressable and national digital. We actually represent, this is a little known fact, we're the largest uh, source of television supply in the entirety of the United States. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I know. Wow. Um, and so, um, and so we're, you know, 55% of all addressable households, but we're across 85 million households in linear as well. Hmm. Um, so it's really a broad scale. And again, because we cross all the cable nets, which are, you know, well over a hundred, you know, that combined scale of the nation and across so many, uh, cable operator, uh, cable networks, um, through our footprint is what really, you know, is our magic pixie dust. And when we have the set-top box data now, we have a tremendous amount of insights into audiences that, you know, we've never had in television before. So it's a really exciting journey yeah. for sure. I need some pixie dust of my own. I have to figure <laughs> out how to get it mine. Um, so let's talk about one of the debates that I know that I think we've had on panels for a long, long time is kind of the, the audiences versus content, audience versus context. Talk a little bit about what you what do you think about that historically, and has your view changed at all in light of kind of the COVID nineteen uh, world that we're living in? Yeah, so so I think like many things, one of my one of my adages is you know it's it's the answer is rarely or to a question, it's very often and, which you know mm. part of the reason we yeah, yeah, it. for right. that then. Um, but it's really true, right? We we often kind of go very black and white in our positions on things, but the truth is. Very often it's sort of gray, oh, and you yeah. gray. And then, you know, to the point of audiences versus content, um, there's no reason to choose. There's validity and reason to buying in both ways. In the case of COVID, um, the audience piece has become very interesting, right? Because when you think about content, think about live sports, certainly nobody is going to question the fact that buying, you know, the final four ad time is a is a silly reason, you know, is a silly buy in television. Yeah. In, in basketball or name any other live sport event, right? The yeah. Olympics, right? But when those things don't happen, which is, you know, this is the first time in history that this situation is happening, how do you find the people? Because it's not like the people, the consumers that were going to watch it, you know, in the live sports event are not the same consumers that would watch it somewhere else, right? It's the same person. So the question is, how do you find those people that would have been watching that live sports event that you were very interested as a marketer to reach with your message? And how do you find them elsewhere? And that's yeah. where audiences become very important. Um, this is like a, a, it's a, this is a spotlight now shining because of what's going on. Um, I think one of the benefits, and it's hard sometimes given how serious the situation that we're in is, one of the benefits I think that's gonna come out of this is that this is forcing 
um, brands to look at audiences and we've spent a lot of time and I know others have as well, spent a lot of time working with brands to find the audiences that have now effectively disappeared from what they were going to buy and find them elsewhere so that so that they still can reach their you know their customers and their prospective customers so yeah. that you know, i think this is going to be a forcing function one of the positives that's going to come out of this is this is going to be a forcing function that we are we're hitting the gas pedal on audience buying and television which i don't think i think would have taken years you know years to happen well we've been talking about it for a long time right so yeah this is going to accelerate time. right and this is accelerating it beyond what what anybody you know has has uh, would have believed, I think, but for these extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. Not to put you on the spot, you could say, David, I can't answer. But if, is there any marketer that you're working with that you think is doing something that's particularly innovative that you could talk about in terms of your uh, data set, your technology, your offering in the market? Yeah. So we work with a bunch of we work with a bunch of big brands like Ford and Target or two that. Um, that I can name that, you know, have been very innovative with us and what we're doing in advanced television and data and really are lean forward brands. Those are just two examples. Two examples. Of examples. Honda is another one. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of brands that have been leaning in. Um, this situation makes even the lean in brands lean in more. Yeah. Right. So it's like wherever you were on the spectrum, this is a forcing function to push even forward more in my opinion you yeah know, that's, that's actually a good point I, all these things but but that's my supposition right now yeah no i think that's right i mean I, I know that the conversations that i've been part of and we've been part of is kind of like what can we use this moment in time to accelerate lots of the things that we have been talking about in television that need to be reinvented that we haven't really made material progress on so what are the what are the things that we've been talking about that we want to now say this is the time for us to reset rethink and reevaluate some of our just business practices. So if you were to, to think about something in television that is in the most need of reinvention or reevaluation, what would that be? Um, you know, there's there's a there's something that I mentioned say a lot, like it's all TV. I think one of one of the biggest bugaboos and I yeah, the silos. Yeah. Silos. It's like no consumer is thinking like I'm watching linear TV or I'm watching OTT or right. I'm watching addressable. Like why we make this is kind of the, we make things complicated when it's, it actually, it's a, it's a, the, the problem to solve is the consumer experience across their experience. Totally agree. Not individual yeah. programmers, not individual anything, right? So this solving in bubbles, again, going back to the name of the company, it's that the only way to really solve the, you know, the problem, meaning the experiential problem in television and really get the best, um, exposure of brands to consumers and the aggregate that will help all players in television is really to get a better, you know, more interoperability. There's not going to just be one platform. We'd be silly to say, right? We have the end platform, which has all of our viewership data and some great yeah. analytics on the back end. Um, but our goal is to be very interoperable with other platforms as well, because we don't believe that any one platform is going to be the be all end all. But what is very important for each of us is that we work together to try to make the consumer experience the best. And the only way to do that is to sort of lock, arm with, lock arms with the brands to express their dollars as intelligently as possible across yeah. 
the audiences that they want to reach. And it's not about any individual technology platform or provider. Got it. No, that makes sense. But we do need a few scaled ones as opposed to 55, you know, tiny ones. That, that right. I would say, yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, the end platform. I, I love to think about can we think about television as a platform, right? We, we've experienced kind of platform uh, explosion and growth and it's been wonderful for the industry. Uh, it's allowed us to do lots with, uh, with uh, data and technology and fewer human resources. We can scale quickly. Talk a little bit more about the end platform. So what, when did it launch? What does it do? Uh, how is it helping marketers? Yeah, so we, so we launched it um, several months ago and really the, the the big piece of the platform actually existed before I even got there. There was this really amazing workflow tool that sat in NCC that was connected to all the buy side systems mm. and all the suppliers. So it'd basically be able to ingest an order, make a plan, and then push it out to all the television supply. And what we did was we effectively took the set-top box data insights that we have access to. We made an audience planning tool on the front end of that planning platform. And then on the back end, we have an attribution and measurement um, capability in conjunction with partners. So data plus math is an example, or you know, there, there's a bunch of different attribution platforms that we that we TV squared is an example. So all yeah. so other partners, right? It's not when I say platform. It's interoperable, so we can pull things in from other places, but you need a single place to house all of it, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's really what we're doing. And it's really kind of the first audience-based television-first platform. We're not, it's not a digital platform that we're trying to look like television, the television-first planning, buying, and measurement platform um, across all of the supply that we represent. And our supply is not just linear. Again, it's the addressable uh, Comcast, Cox, and Charter as well, and a slew of OTT, CTV partners as well. So, so really, you know, the uh, it's all TV. We're really playing in that game, which is you know, it, buying an individual OTT provider, an individual CTV, or individual, and that is not going to, from a brand perspective, that is very laborious to do. So you need to be able to give them insights and a consistent way to buy audiences at scale across all of these different types of inventory. But in the end of the day, you have to pull them back because from a consumer perspective, the brand has to know yeah. across all these platforms, how, did, how many times did I reach that consumer? Yeah. And is it a managed service today or are folks actually hands-on keyboard uh, at kind of the agencies and, and brands? Yeah, so today it's a managed service. And when we, when we announced the platform, we specifically said that it's managed service. And then later this year, uh, we were going to be making it available to the buy side. Awesome. That's super exciting. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's talk about um, some lasting impacts. I think you've kind of talked about them from the kind of human side of the business. Um, talk about some of the things, good or bad. Like one of the things that we talk about is events. Will events ever be the same? Will they be the same in the short term or the midterm? Talk about something that you think is going to be a lasting impact on the business, good or bad, as a result of, of COVID. So my suspicion is that, so I've heard, you know, like, there's never going to be any events ever. Um, that feels very extreme. I hope that's not like, true. Back to like the, it's always an extreme. Black or white, right? Very binary. Exactly. Um, uh, but I do think there'll be far less uh, industry events, which I don't think is a bad thing, frankly. I do think we got, it got 
too much. You know, it was, it got to be too many. There's too many and there was a lot of noise and it was hard to understand yeah. what to go to. And, um, and so sometimes I think we're sort of a victim of our success in this industry. Um, so I do think there'll be fewer events. Um, I don't think, I think the big ones will stay and stay relevant for sure. I do think this construct of, you know, we're on a, we're on a Zoom call right now. Um, I do think we will have far less um, requirement to go see people face-to-face. -face. I do think that this has created a dynamic where I think we've I think all so yeah. pitched client meetings and- You can get um, a lot accomplished. Yeah. Accomplished and you could still, you know, you're still looking me in the eyeballs, right? So it's not a call. Yeah. Okay. Uh, virtual eyeballs. Um, and so I think that is something that will hold. I think an extension of that also, you know, at Ampersand, even before this happened, we had, um, everybody had the ability to work from home one day a week. There's a lot of companies that were still not buying into the remote working. I, for yeah. one, am a big fan of it. I think providing flexibility, given everything that, you know, families and individuals have on their plates right now is super important just for people's just, you know, mental well-being, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is why I pushed it so hard when I got here. Um, but I do think that could be even more flexible over time because I think people can prove, you know, like it is easy to do, easy to do this, you know, meaning you could be very productive being home and doing this. And then in between calls, I run down for my coffee, you know, oh, absolutely. my yeah. laundry, whatever I need to do. But I, um, you know, I, and I think a lot of people have realized you can be as or more productive working from home, saving your commute time. And so I do think that that is also going to be sort of a lasting impact of this is more flexibility in a work from home. Uh, yeah, I think you, I think you're probably right. I've got just a couple and these are going to be some fun questions. So okay. fun question one is guilty pleasure and the guilty pleasure could be, how do you keep yourself outside of Peloton, because we already talked about that, sane, is it food, drink, movies that you're binging, stuff you're watching on Netflix or Hulu? Is there any good recommendation for folks that you've kind of experienced since you've been home? Yeah, so, um, so, not, um, so not necessarily while I've been, while I've been home, but I've, um, I've never given up on physical books, like paper books. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what, one of the things I have done since I have been home is I, my goal is to read one physical book a week. Um, typically for me, it's like one, you know, one book every three weeks, just cause it's hard when you're running yeah. around with dinners and stuff. Like one benefit is when you don't have work dinners, you know, after I put my kids to bed, I can read for a couple hours. Um, and so I'm, I'm, so that's one of my, one of my goals, um, is like one book a week. One Do you have a good recommendation? Anything you've read recently that's good? Um, I, I reread To Kill a Mockingbird. Wow. Recently. Huh. Um, and it was a great, and also uh, a friend recommended this book. Uh, it's a New York Times bestseller called The Silent Patient, um, which I'd never heard of, but it was actually quite good as well. So, um, awesome. yeah. Good. yeah. That's good guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, another one, what are you excited about the back half of this year? I would imagine once we kind of come out of our cocoon, we're going to be kind of really excited about getting back to business and work. What are you most excited about back half of the year? Um, so I, th I think everything that we're experiencing now, I think living into it once we get out back into the world is 
I think going to be an interesting learning experience slash growth experience for all of us, both from a personal and professional perspective. So I'm excited about that. Um, you know, for us at, at Ampersand, we're, we have a big political business. So obviously the back half of the year with the election is a really important um, piece of our, our business as well. And we also just have a lot of um, really great technology development going on. Um, sort of the heavy lift within which will happen at the back half of the year. We're sort of building it now, but it's going to be released back half of the year. Got it. So, so we'll see. And I'm also, one of the things, and you didn't ask me this question, but I'll, but I'll. You'll answer it anyway. I will, I will is, is um, I'm curious to see what's going to happen uh, with the upfronts, like the fact that there won't be physical upfronts this year and how that impacts all the dynamics in television, right? Like there's been so much discussion about how the upfronts are gonna change. Well, this is a forcing function now. They, they're they forced to change based on the current dynamics. So how, yeah. what, is the, what is sort of the back half impact of, of what that looks like? You know, yeah. not an answer, um, but, but, I, but I do think that there's gonna be something meaningfully changing as a result yeah. of that from that perspective. No, I, I totally agree. And that was, it was, I was going to ask you that that is part of a fun lightning round, which I'm going to do in a second. But uh, while you're on the topic, which I think is a good one, one of the things that I think is relatively obvious is that we had been, you know, married to a May timeframe, which didn't make very much sense for many people anyway, in terms of business planning context. Digital, as we know, has kind of been a 24-7, 365 all the year in market. I do think that there's, at, to your point, there's black and white. It's not going to be either or, but I do think that there's going to be more of a kind of always on cycle that this moment in time is going to actually um, make happen, which I think is exciting. I think that's good. I, I totally agree. And also like these worlds are colliding, right? Like what is TV and what is digital now, right? Like even that, the definition of those things, uh, you know, it's all TV, like yeah. what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about digital ad banners. We're talking about if you're talking about premium video content that looks a lot like TV, what is the difference, you know, between that and if you're watching again, linear TV, right? Absolutely. Yep. Nothing. And so why this delineation between traditional, you know, TV and digital? Yeah. I've got a question from the audience that I'm going to ask you. Uh, so it's around identity resolution yeah. and trying to help us figure out deduplication of audiences. So it's been one of the vexing problems of our industry. How do you think about reach and frequency as people are migrating from screen to screen to screen? Is there anything that, that you're working on that can help in that regard? Uh, so we, we don't have, like we directly aren't doing anything. You know, you have companies like LiveRamp that are, that have a solution around identity yeah. block graph as well. That has a different, um, solution that they're bringing to market as well. And so um, from our perspective, we, because we work with the cable operators, they obviously have the set-top box connectivity into the household and the IP addresses. Um, because of you know the first party relationship, we, and for sure they have to be very careful about how all of that data is leveraged. So yeah. you know we do, we do do, dupli do duplication of audiences based on the work that we do, but it's it's very carefully done, sort of not with deterministic level because you can't match yeah. data sets across and things like that. Um, and so I think this is a work in progress. Like I see 
what LiveRan's doing, I definitely see where BlockGraph is going. And so I think this is something that is going to evolve over time. There is there's not a silver bullet across the entirety of the ecosystem. We sort of have our piece of the puzzle and others have their piece of the puzzle. So the yeah. question is how in a privacy compliant way from a brand perspective, can we put these puzzle pieces together while honoring the importance of privacy in television, which um, not purposefully, but accidentally the digital side, you know, and I came from the digital side, we clearly didn't get it right. Cause the, you know, the consumer experience in digital, we did a lot of great stuff quickly, but as far as, you know, you know, I always say like the Zappos ad that followed you around for four weeks after you bought the shoes. How do we not do that in television, right? Because that was that's what would create sort of the creep factor, um, particularly because in television there's a first party relationship often with the consumer, so it becomes especially dangerous to do that. Yeah, and especially in light of the you know right, 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 and especially in light of the the death of the third party cookie and all of that um, stuff. We have actually a project that we're uh, obviously heavily invested in called Project Rearc, which we are working on lots of the kind of standards around what does that world uh, look like cross screen. Yeah. So my last question, I think we're almost out of time. This has just flown by. I've had a blast, hopefully you have. I love doing a lightning round and it is kind of like word association. So I'm gonna say a word okay. and you're gonna tell me the first thing that pops into your head, okay? Okay. All right, attribution. Uh, complicated right now. Okay, if it's one word, it would be better. No, 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 Sorry. okay, it's good. Addressability. Targeting. Dynamic ad insertion. Uh, promising. Zoom meetings. Love them. Privacy. Um, complicated also. Cross screen. Important. New fronts. Um, innovative. Set top box data. Uh, critical. OTT. Component. Peloton. <laughs> Sanity. <laughs> yes, I love it. And that's all we have. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I hope to have you back for another IAB there at some time, but uh, this has been great. Thank you very much for sharing your perspective. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Appreciate All right. It. Take care. All right. I am going to uh, wind up uh, on tomorrow's IAB there. We are excited to welcome David Kenny. I'll be interviewing David Kenny, who is the CEO and Chief Diversity Officer of Nielsen, uh, to discuss viewership trends beyond COVID-19. IAB there is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, Twafika Mohinadin, and Haley Bloom. I'm David Cohen, and thank you for watching. Come back tomorrow, because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB there. Thanks. Bye-bye.